hey everyone, Michael Howie here. I hope you had a great long weekend and took some time to listen to last week's episode on burnout, especially since this week includes World Mental Health Day. If you want to catch that episode, as well as other past shows and upcoming shows, make sure you sign up to receive Defender Radio email blasts at thefurbears.com updates. Opt in to get the weekly e-newsletter from the Fur Bears, as well as Defender Radio, and you'll find out about all new episodes, contests, how to subscribe, and more. This week's show is supported by the Hardy Hooligan. This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of October 9, 2017, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 449 of Defender Radio. It was a day of mixed emotions when we heard that the new NDP-led government in British Columbia would ban trophy hunting of grizzly bears, but still allow them to be killed for their, quote, meat. This PACO provision led to a big debate in the media, in comment sections, and on chat rooms across the province and country. It stood to reason that a good way to find out what people really thought about the hunting of grizzly bears was to ask them. Enter Insights West. Funded by Lush Cosmetics and the Commercial Bear Viewing Association, Insights West polled a sample of BC residents to get their opinions on grizzly bear hunting. 74% of residents supported a ban on the hunting of all grizzlies, which is a positive statistic, though not that surprising. But what left me slack-jawed was that 58% of self-identified hunters also support a ban on the hunting of all grizzlies. Immediately, this survey made headlines across the province and spurred even more debate. Throw in a mixture of all the fake news, inaccurate polling, and general lack of trust in media that's underscored the last 12 months in North America, and the scientifically valid survey got called into question. That's why Defender Radio connected with Mario Canseco, a vice president at Insights West. Mario discusses what the grizzly bear poll shows, why professional surveys are a valuable tool, and why advocates should be looking to the numbers. Before we get started, here's a message from our show supporter. When I'm looking for a meal that satisfies my hunger and my ethics, I head to the Hardy Hooligan here in Hamilton. They have incredible vegan versions of egg salad, chicken salad, and tuna salad daily, as well as savory pies, including my favorite shepherd's pie pasty amazing desserts, and even locally roasted coffee in biodegradable cups. The Hardy Hooligan is definitely food worth rioting for. Check them out at 368 Main West in Hamilton right by Lock Street, or find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at thehardyhooligan.com. Let's talk a bit about the poll. Um, It's one of these ones where you look at it, And the first half of the poll makes complete sense. And then the second half of the poll gets you scratching your head. Uh, So let's start out. What was the sort of the objective in this, this most recent polling uh, uh, that was conducted uh, by yourself insights West, along with lush cosmetics and the commercial bear viewing association. Well, we wanted to get uh, into a couple of issues. One of them was the level of support for the decision 
uh, from the new government of BC uh, to um, ban trophy hunting of grizzly bears uh, later this year. And we do find that 88% of residents were happy with this decision. The level of opposition was only 8%, only 3% strongly opposed to this decision. Uh, so definitely a good start for the government. But what was interesting about the second part of the poll is it's almost as if there's a lot of BC residents who are looking at this as a starting point. Uh, the mm -hmm. level of support to ban all hunting of grizzly bears in British Columbia was 74%. So three out of four residents essentially saying that they're happy with what the government has done, but they would like to take it a step further down the road. And that is interesting because the the trophy hunt is sort of how I think a lot of people were looking at this originally. Now, those of us in animal advocacy, of course, were kind of, I think, maybe in the back of our minds aware that there might be some of these, the, the pack out the meat type loopholes put in, uh, which allows the hunting of grizzly bears to continue outside of the Great Bear Rainforest. Um, but it was interesting to see that British Columbians as a whole are not just against the trophy hunts. Now the trophy hunt had a, a, a great deal of opposition. I think the numbers that you guys were pulling were between 80 and 91%. Yes. Um, is it surprising to you to see that the population is not just in favor of banning trophy hunting, but in actually banning hunting of grizzly bears in such a similarly high level? Well, it, it was definitely a, an eye-catching statistic. I mean, I, I thought we were going to get somewhere around 60 or maybe 65%, get two-thirds. I mean, three out of four is definitely higher than what I expected to see. And, and I think it has a lot to do with the reasons behind the hunt. Uh, there's very few hunters who are actually hunting bears. There's very few hunters who are hunting bears and eating their meat. So mm -hmm. you get into this tiny minority of hunters who would like to see this continue. When we ask people who hunt what they hunt, uh, most of it is deer, moose, elk, uh, animals that you can definitely eat most of the parts of. And, yeah, very and traditional think, game animals. Yeah, exactly. And I think you know one of the situations that we face here is the justification for the hunt, because you're going to be using the animal for food, uh, makes more sense for other animals. And I think a lot of people are looking at it more from the standpoint of, you know, if you want to hunt for meat, there's plenty of other animals that you can hunt for meat. We just don't think that there should be one of them. And it's interesting, too, talking about that. I recall, um, again, I'm just going back through my mind of all the, the surveys you've done that I've read uh, and some of the times we've spoken. There, there is relatively strong support in British Columbia for hunting for meat, uh, as I recall from a past survey. Like, it, it's not a, a, a huge amount of opposition to that concept. No, there's a big difference there. And I think that's also part of the reason why uh, the debate has to be framed properly. It's not a situation where you're coming out against all types of hunting. And we've seen that consistently. There's a lot of residents who say, if you're hunting for meat, go for it. I mean, there might be somebody who is dissatisfied or, or, or who doesn't want to do it or who finds the whole practice unpalatable, and that's definitely fair. But the number of residents who would like to ban trophy hunting completely is definitely higher. And this really speaks about this difficulty that some residents might be having between traditional hunting methods or, or things that you used to do and the fact that there's people coming in here just to walk away with a couple of bear parts and, and that they are able to to look at it from that standpoint it's not a survey that looks into hunting in all circumstances it's a survey that looks into hunting a specific species in a specific situation and i think this is the reason for the level of animosity towards this uh, issue to be so high
one of the statistics that came out as a result of this that really jumps off the page. I mean, 74% is significant overall, but 58%, so almost three in five self-described hunters are in favor of banning all grizzly bear hunting. Um, that one, I was, I, I at first surprised me. And then as I thought about it and my conversations with, with hunters, with trappers over the years was not actually that surprising. Yeah, I think what we see here is a situation where there's there's definitely a little bit of concern from the hunters who do not want to see this end up in a situation where they can't hunt anything. And mm -hmm. I think there's a little bit of that preoccupation. But when you look at it from the standpoint of a specific species, such as grizzly bears, there's very few of them who are actually hunting grizzly bears. And I think that's one of the reasons for this. If you were asking about a different animal in a different season, in a different situation, um, the numbers were not, are not going to be as, as high as they can be. But I thought that was interesting as well. I mean, there's, there's hunters who are hunting other things and are looking at the hunting of grizzly bear as something that is quite unpalatable. So I think that's definitely part of the aspect here. If, if we were asking about different animals, maybe the numbers would be completely different. But to see hunters say, I'm okay with hunting all of these things. I'm not okay with hunting uh, grizzly bears uh, was definitely big. I mean, I thought it was going to be around 50-50, but to see it closer to 60% mm -hmm. definitely suggests that even among the hunting community, hunting grizzly bears is not something that they like. Well, and I think it's worthy to note too that, uh, and you have this number in here, uh, I'm not sure if this was part of your surveying or part of uh, existing surveying, but only 11% of residents actually describe themselves as hunters and what they hunt, as as you said, deer, 65%, moose, 51%, and elk, 30%. Um, so it's, it's maybe one of these situations where are we hearing the lobby group speak more strongly on uh, on an issue than maybe their members or those who fall within that um, that category necessarily believe? Well, it's the kind of situation that we encounter whenever you're doing public opinion research um, and you have a sample of residents that has been uh, statistically chosen, that it essentially touches all of the census targets that we require, age, gender, region. Um, there's always going to be uh, somebody who looks into the results of the survey and then compares it to their friends. And I get a lot of emails, regardless of what policy or, or issue we're, we're doing, where people say, I can't believe I'm in the minority. I can't believe that only 17% of people agree with this or support that. And it's just a natural reaction. You know, I myself find uh, have been disagreeing with majorities of Canadians or busy residents for many times on many issues. You know, I look at my numbers sometimes and they're in the smaller column. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's just the way in which this kind of situation goes. Um, we wanted to have the subsample of, of, of hunters because, you know, we needed to to look into how they felt about this. And, you know, we have around 100,000 licenses to hunt here in BC. The number is, uh, if, if we had, uh, you know, set up a quota somehow, the number would have been even lower. And I think, you know, one of the reasons for this was, okay, have you hunted? Tell us how you feel about specific things. And I mean, there's been uh, a very misguided criticism towards the survey in, in, in social media, particularly. Um, because we, we find yourself, we, we find ourselves in the same situation that we always have. You know, all of my friends are hunters, and none of my friends agree with you. Well, congratulations on having friends who think alike. Uh, what we're doing here is statistically valid, and that's the way it should be. <laughs> that's good. Uh, we're we're, we're going to talk more about the the statistic validity of these uh, uh, shortly. That is something that I've been reading more about, um, and I had. Uh, um, 
actually my wife on the show for this week, last week's episode, uh, talking about burnout. And we were talking a lot about um, getting people to listen and yeah. then start conversing about the backfire effect. And that's when, and it, it's remarkable if anyone ever gets a chance to look at the studies. Uh, there's a great one on the flu shots where people who are, you know, in that gray area about how they feel about the flu shots are told uh, that the flu shot is safe and given the evidence. So not just told by a pharmacist, but here are the studies uh, from around the world that show its safety and that it helps. And they actually become more opposed to the flu shots. And it's this weird psychological effect where you feel like there's an attack on your person because of something, because you're being told something you think isn't right. So you get this strange backfire effect. And that's what I wonder when we have more public forums on these issues. I mean, you sort of remove the whole geography issue where you get people from, you know, uh, Romania commenting on British Columbia grizzly bears. But <laughs> when it is it's sort of behind the internet or in a group setting, are people less likely to be honest about how they feel about some of these things? And that's something that I, I frequently wonder about. Again, when I speak with trappers and hunters um, and I, I am able to have interesting conversations with them where we go into it knowing we're going to disagree on most things. Uh, they, they are much more, I don't want to say gray area, but they, they have more mm -hmm. flexibility in what they think versus what I then see on social media or in the media itself. Is that something that we see in polling, especially on an issue like this, that can be very divisive? You know, this is one of the reasons why we choose to do most of our surveys online. Uh, when you remove the, um, the fact that you have somebody on the other end of the line who is asking you about a very contentious issue, you remove that boundary and it's a lot more, it's a lot easier for the respondent to develop uh, the honesty that is necessary to say, yes, I support this law or no, I'm against this decision by the government or anything else. Um, there is that inherent bias that comes with dealing with a human on the other side of the phone. Mm -hmm. Now, the fact that fewer people have landlines and getting a representative sample on the phone has become quite impossible, has made a lot of pollsters embrace something that we've done for our entire existence, which is use the online panels more. Uh, if you have your census targets, if you know the specific number of residents in the community that you need to speak to and, and how many men, how many women, their age groups and so on, then you can definitely do this online. Now, this is completely different from the online poll that you can click on any time at any point. And we've seen a lot of those that have been you know, sent over and, and uh, in, they're on social media and there's mm -hmm. somebody asking you to vote on the poll. Like it just doesn't work that way. I mean, it, it is conducted online, but it's it's something that is statistically valid. And I think part of the difficulty some, sometimes is, is getting to that representative sample, making sure that you have somebody there uh, who is who they say they are. And there's no way to do that with the online polls that you see on the website sometimes. And by having this group of people who are willing to take part in the surveys, uh, we do it with a representative sample of the panel. And, you know, I get a lot of emails from panelists who say, you never sent me the poll on politics. Well, that's not how it works. You yeah. know, we got to get a representative sample or you never send me the poll about bears. Well, it's 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 lock of the draw. It's the same way in which we would do it or in the same way that it was done in the 70s when everybody had a landline and everybody answered their phone. Um, it's just sometimes you get the poll that is about, you know, big policy issues. Sometimes you get the poll about which detergent you use. Yeah, I remember uh, getting those phone calls the last time I had a landline. Um, 
oh, geez, must have been 10 years ago now. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I worked, I was a journalist at the time. So I was, I, like, they would just call and say, we're from such and such company. Do you have a minute? I said, I'm in the media. And they say, okay, thank you, and hang up. And uh, that was my, you know, it, it, even when I was no longer in the media, I still used that because uh, it just discludes you from so many things. Um, well, it's it's been tougher for the, for those who, who rely on the phone. And I think you, you, you can still... Uh, use the phone, especially when you're doing a, a very small community, if you're doing an, an electoral district, for instance. But mm -hmm. uh, the problem is finding young people. Um, I We used to have a landline at, at, at our house, and, and I would always answer the phone. And unless they asked me if I work for a research company, I would stay there forever. But they never wanted to talk to me. They, I, I'm part of the most boring demographic in the universe. I'm, <laughs> I'm a man, 35 to 54. Yeah. They wanted somebody younger or somebody of a different gender. So even if I was willing to take the phone call, they didn't want to talk to me because I wasn't one of the groups they were targeting. That's that's interesting. But I, I've got a one-up on you because I only speak English. So I'm even more just like <laughs> right on the nose there to be born. Um, <laughs> but speaking of age and gender, it's interesting looking at the survey. And I, I, I mean, it's again, this is one of those to me, it's kind of obvious. And I think to a lot of people, it would be. Uh, the highest level of support for banning hunting of all grizzlies uh, is among women aged 35 to 54 Vancouver Island, BC, uh, NDP, and Green Party voters, um, and non-hunters, 75%. That's one of those, like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but then when we start looking down, and you've got this one great graphic. Um, I always enjoy your graphics. They're easy to read. <laughs> Thanks. Um, when we're looking at the gender splits, and this is when we get into the uh, that sort of middle ground of somewhat against um, and the age range. There is a really weird, it, and I would imagine if you plotted this out, it would be a really interesting fluctuation. Um, so in the strongly in favor, somewhat in favor, and not sure groups, there's not a lot of difference between male and female opinion. Um, I'd say, well, strongly in favor, it's 58 to 42. Uh, but the one is the somewhat against 9 to 19% um, really seems to sort of jump off the page at me. It's a 10% difference. In a sort of almost an opinion of, eh, you know, like it, 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 is there anything behind that uh, significance at that point compared to what looks relatively even elsewhere? Yeah, there's, there's a little bit of a shift there uh, because usually when you have an issue that is quite contentious, you tend to to really focus on the strongly in favor, strongly against numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, there's always going to be these people in the middle who are like, well, I, I kind of like what the government is doing, and I kind of like that this decision might benefit me personally or my friends. And so you, you have a lot of people who sort of park their response in the somewhat um, support or somewhat in favor. In this particular case, uh, you don't see a lot of animosity towards the decision. When strongly against is at 6%, that definitely means that there's not a lot of people who are quite angry at the decision that the government could be taking. And the fact that some of the opponents are more likely to say they're somewhat against it, it's almost like, well, yeah, maybe this is creating jobs for people. Maybe this is something that can help. Or I know somebody who mm -hmm. who, who makes their living out of it, and, and that's fine. But there, it's still not a level of animosity that is quite as strong as what we see in other issues. Yeah, it's... It's just, it's really interesting to look at and then sort of play armchair psychologist about too, um, <laughs> which I imagine is, is a danger for pollsters such as yourself uh, to start reading a little too much into it. Um, and again, that's, that's where our personal biases come in, I suppose. 
Uh, and speaking about biases, this is something I heard uh, a lot uh, as a media person, and I uh, would get made fun of by my dad, who was not a great fan of the media. Um, and he'd say, oh, well, it just depends on who you hire to do the survey. It just depends on, you know, oh, the National Post is owned by these people, therefore this is going to be the agenda, and the poll is, of course, going to say, you know, support the conservatives. Um, and that's something that, uh, you know, when we were talking just briefly, uh, when you were making fun of my beloved Thai cats, um, <laughs> uh, talking about the last year in the media, um, I feel that surveys and polls and media itself, too, are kind of coming under the gun. Uh, and we can look at maybe the biggest upset for pollsters in the last decade. And that was calling it for uh, Clinton and yeah. Trump sweeping it. How do I, I don't want you to explain how statistics work because we simply do not have that much time or whiskey. But <laughs> I am curious, how do we sort of maybe nutshell it and say like the reason it's right most of the time is X and the reason it's yeah. sometimes wrong is Y? Well, looking into the U.S. election, I think one of the differences, and this is partly because of the way the media coverage worked, was to concentrate on the national level polling and not in the state polling. And the U.S. has the Electoral College. Yeah. We polled in that election in the U.S., and we actually had the second best uh, forecast of the popular vote. Uh, a small company in Iowa called Seltzer beat us by half a point. Uh, <laughs> so we get the silver medal, but it's kind All of right. cool to get the silver medal yeah. in the U.S., from Vancouver, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, Canadians you know, always know better. That's just the rule. <laughs> it was interesting to me because it was, you know, professionally to get an election as contentious as that one, as close as we got it. It was a very special night for me, and I kept getting condolence messages. Oh no, you guys blew it. Oh, everybody blew it. Well, the problem in the U.S. was mostly located in specific states where nobody polled on the final week, and I, this this is Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Um, to a lesser extent, uh, what happened in Ohio. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you, you can have some of those misses in the States if you don't continue polling until the final moment. And But unfortunately, the narrative has been that, that we're all terrible, that nobody can predict anything. And it's been unfortunate to look at it that way. Um, similar situation after the, the 2013 election here in uh, BC, where you know most of the polls that came out suggested a victory for the NDP and they ended up losing. But yep, yep, the only way that. to get back in the saddle is to do elections. And one of the reasons I came here was to do elections. We've done 23. Uh, it's been great. All of them called within their margins and, and essentially making sure that the winners are there. But the only way to do this is to, to poll until the final moment. And I think part of the problem in the States was if you're not polling on the final weekend or on the Monday before the election on a Tuesday, you're not going to get that shift. You're not going to get that that person who maybe was thinking about voting for Hillary Clinton and then decides to vote for Donald Trump. And I think that was one of the problems. Now, part of the problem as well is is the the emphasis that the media can have. And you know, one of the reasons that we uh, have our website like we have it is because we like to control what is there? This is the. Here are the tables. Here is how we analyze it. Here is how we see it. Mm -hmm. The media might interpret it differently, and depending on the findings of a survey, it uh, will. You know, it may be on the on the National Post if, if if it's something that they like. It might be on the Global Mail if it's a an issue that they care about. Uh, placement has nothing to do with us. I mean, we have the information and it's the newspapers or the radio stations or the TV stations who say this is interesting because it fits what we want to talk about. Yeah. Let's go ahead and do it.
Well, and I think that's what I was sort of looking at and I, I commented on, and I think it really plays into this, is were I uh, opposed to uh, banning hunting of grizzlies, I could pull out from this survey that it's women aged 35 to 54 living nowhere near where it's happening who vote a certain way and they don't represent everybody. Therefore, the poll isn't really significant. Um, and that's, that's that cherry picking of data. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a way as consumers that we can try and identify when that's happening? Uh, not from a, not, not within the poll, but from what we're being told by the media. Well, I think the best way to do it, and, and this is something that is happening more and more because as the phone has been, uh, losing, uh, it's, uh, its place as the standard for polling. We have a lot more people doing online research and we have a situation now where data collection is cheaper than it's ever been before. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's a blessing and a curse because it's a lot easier now to speak to 800 people or a thousand or 2000, have the results ready within 48 hours. It's great. You don't have to be calling people. You don't have to wait that long, but also it has brought new players into the game who have no experience in questionnaire development, who may have been using wording that is going to be inherently biased, who are not going to be making the right decisions as far as sampling. And that is the kind of information that, that shouldn't go out there. And, and that's been part of the problem. You know, when you say that that all posters are terrible, that all posters are misleading, uh, you know, it's like judging any other thing by one moment, by one situation. And I think it's very unfair. Um, the key is to look into the electoral record of the company, to look into how the questionnaire was developed. And there's definitely room for discussions about why you ask something here or there. Um, but the problem lies on, on, you know, focusing on things that don't make sense. I mean, most of the commentary that I've seen on this is you spoke to 800 people and there's 3 million of us. It's called sampling. Yeah. It's called sampling. It's not a census. And this is, this is why this kind of thing is, is done that way. Or nobody asked me, well, if we bump the sample to 818, you're still in the minority. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and I think that's maybe what's important to get across too. And this is the the lovely sentence that's at the bottom of every survey that's done properly. Because the data has been statistically weighted according to the Canadian census figures for age, gender, and region in British Columbia. Margin of error, which measures sample variability, is plus minus 3.5 percentage points 19 times out of 20. I still don't know what that means, but I know if it's there, uh, it's probably more reliable. Um, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a mathematical cal- calculation, you know, the, the, it could be, you know, three and a half points higher or lower on the, on the totals. Uh, of course, the margin of error would be higher in specific subgroups, but this is, this is the way it is done. I mean, there's, there's this, uh, there's a lot of people who assume that if we were to speak with 5,000 or 7,000 or 90,000 people, then the margin of error would be lower and it might, but it would be a monumental expense uh, for us, mm-hmm. for the clients. Uh, my favorite example of this, because that's, that's also one thing that has been creeping into this conversation. Oh, no, no. The larger the sample size, the more accurate the survey will be. Um, SurveyMonkey and NBC in the United States did a poll of 90,000 Americans before the U.S. presidential election. Our poll had less than 900 and we were more accurate and they still had Donald Trump six points lower than he finished. So wow. it's not a question of large sample size. It's a question of proper balancing of the sample. It doesn't have to be 90,000 people. You can still talk to 90,000 people and get it wrong. Well, and I guess that's one of the big differences too. Uh, when we're 
when we look especially at the media or social media ones that you were talking about, and those, I, I get a little frustrated myself, probably because of my background in media, when people say, oh, you've got to go, like, and they're telling their supporters, go go vote on this online poll. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. And especially with the ones where it's one of two choices. And there was a great, oh, I can't remember the exact phrasing. There was one shortly after the NDP made their announcements in August. Um, that's, it's, do you like the NDP's plan? Yes or no? Yeah. And well, I, why don't you like it? Which part of it, like, so everyone who wants a full ban on hunting, period, doesn't like it. Everyone who wants to be able to trophy hunt doesn't like it. Like, you're, you're not asking a question that's going to give you any information. But the media then tries to take that little yes-no poll and turn it into something. Um, and I think th- those are the dangerous ones to me. Well, I've, I've always been an enemy of that type of exercise. And it's not because... I don't believe that people should be having fun when they go to a website and, and click on things, but it can be misconstrued into something that is actually real and you find it competing with other things that are out there. I mean, you have something that is statistically balanced, properly conducted, uh, you have control of the questions, you make sure that you're asking something that is unbiased and is going to be fair, that gives people a chance to say, I'm undecided, I haven't read enough about the issue. Um, and then you have something that is floating in cyberspace uh, with a sample of 50,000 or 100,000, who knows where they came from, where people can click many times, and then that gets sent uh, around, and they say, well, you know, this is this is the correct poll, because this is a poll that is closer to to what I think is yeah. is, is going on, and and it's just, it's just terrible. I mean, we, we've had discussions as an industry about what to do with these things, and I mean, ultimately, it's, it's very problematic. Um, having the ability to ask people a question and collate the data does not make you a pollster in the same way that having a scalpel does not make you a surgeon. Yes. I was trying to think of something witty to say, and there really is not anything witty to say that does not come across as <laughs> super creepy. Um, it's, it's part of the whole discussion about media literacy, I think. And that's obviously been a very, very hot topic, again, especially in this last year, um, with the concept of fake news, which boggles my mind still. Uh, it's, it's, it's either news or it's not. Um, but you get people who are intentionally adding disinformation. Then you get people who have misinformation. Then you have actual verifiable information, but it's all getting jumbled together. And because it's done online, um, like I subscribe to the New York times. I, I love that. That's uh, newspaper. Uh, I love the crosswords. <laughs> it's got great coverage. I know their bias is slightly left, not as significantly mm-hmm. as a lot of other places, but it's there. So I can take that in when I read it. Uh, I also get, you know, my local Hamilton Spectator, and I know their biases are are varied in different subjects and different times. Um, but if I'm only relying on headlines online, I can't tell the difference visually between the New York Times, one of the oldest and most prestigious newspapers on the planet, and some dude in his mom's basement, right? Like with with a bit of WordPress programming, you can look just as good, just as real, so all of a sudden, not only are we getting this misinformation and disinformation, it looks the same as the traditional media. That, that is the major problem in my mind, that you're going into a bona fide source of journalism and the ads are designed to look like real stories. Mm-hmm. And you click on the real story and you don't realize it. You're already outside of CNN. You're already two or three degrees of separation from the website that you came to to get information. And now you're reading something that isn't there and that shouldn't be there. I mean... 
we used to have better ways to 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 explain uh, when when something was paid for, when something was uh, not part of of you know the the source of information that you were looking at and. I can't believe it. We were better than that before. There were moments when you clicked on something and you, you had this warning that said, okay, now you're going to be leaving the website. You're going to a third party advertiser. Yeah. And, you know, this is probably not real, but you know, it's, it's also part of the difficulty that some of the media outlets have in, in generating revenue. You know, yep. there, there's fewer people subscribing, there's fewer ads. So you got to get that money from online. Unfortunately, everybody who's advertising online is making their advertisements look like they're news stories. And that is leading to that confusion. And we, we saw it in the U.S. election more than anything. And, and to a lesser extent, I think we, we saw it here in the last uh, B.C. election. And, you know, we have a report on, on, on social media use coming out later this month. And we see 35% of social media users saying, I've encountered fake news. And that's a problem. It's a mm -hmm. third of people who are out there trying to get information about something. They're going to read a headline. They're going to go with it. They're going to go to their friends and say, did you know that Hillary Clinton did this or Christy Clark did that? And that's not the way it's supposed to happen. Yeah. Well, and that's, uh, there's uh, another study that was done. Um, and I can't think of what it was right now. I've got it in a presentation. I can send you the link later. Um, but it showed that a, a large number of people who were sharing social media posts, right? So newspaper things, uh, traditional media articles, never actually read the article. They just saw the headline, the picture, or the lead and clicked share. So you're getting information just shot out there. And even the people who were sharing it haven't read it. And to me, again, as a content guy, as a former journalist, that's terrifying. Um, that's That's, you know a quick path downhill to not getting any information. And we're both in the business of information uh, in different ways. So it's, it's alarming to see happening and hopefully we can get more emphasis on the concept of media literacy in general uh, moving forward, uh, not just in British Columbia, but across the world. Um, Absolutely. This is, this is why we decide to publish everything. You know, mm -hmm. here's our tables, here's, here's the methodology, here's how we think this means, here's what our analysis would tell us. Um, you know, spend time reading everything. Uh, don't just go by the headline, because if you go by the headline, there might be things that you're not grasping. Yeah, and uh, as you said that, I can click on the uh, tables, and it's got all of the raw data there, um, including the question and... Uh, the size of the sample and all of the different demographics you've included in this one, um, which is, it's gives me a headache, but uh, for those <laughs> that are good with numbers and like reading those things, it's there. Uh, to wrap up, I wanted to talk a bit about polling for advocacy. This is something yeah. I think we've kind of touched on pieces of as we've talked. Um, and the fur bears have used insights West um, and we have found great value in polling, but it is something that, as you've said, you know, there are really cheap options available um, to people to get, you know, a quick, oh, well, this many people think that, um, but there is value in having a proper pollster done. So, uh, no, I'm sorry, in having a proper poll done. What is your advice to advocates, whether you are running a small animal rescue, whether you are uh, trying to end hunting of grizzly bears to whether you are trying to uh, change the welfare laws. How can polling help and why should we be using it and how do we use it effectively? Well, I think the key to this is to have somebody who's coming in from the outside and is going to look into 
the reasons behind a specific campaign or why you want to do something. What, what tends to happen, and this is something that we face whenever we work with clients uh, of, of any uh, type, uh, the idea that somebody comes in and says, okay, this, is, this, is, this has to be something that works. This needs to be a situation where 80% of British Columbians say that they want to buy my product or 90% say that they support this law. And it just doesn't work that way. When, when you have somebody who's so close to the issue, you need somebody from the outside to say, okay, I'm not part of this advocacy. Mm-hmm. And but I th- I think you need to ask these questions. I think you need to look into awareness. You need to look into familiarity. You need to look into how people react to specific things. Maybe have a some sample of this kind of people who could be affected by the decision. Uh, look into political allegiance, and that's the kind of argument that 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 works. And that's the kind of work that we like to do. I mean, we go back and forth. We write questions uh, sometimes, and this has happened before. You know, the 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 first iteration of the questionnaire. Uh, that we get from a client is so loaded with jargon and things that would make it impossible for any human to say no to that. <laughs> and it's not the right way of asking it. You know, yeah. it, it's it, it's it's good to have somebody who's completely detached from the activism to say, okay, this is how you should ask it. Maybe 90% of people will be happy with your decision and that'll be great. Maybe this is only going to be attractive to 10%. And I've been on meetings where you have that situation where you go into a place and say, guess what? This thing that you thought was going to be the best thing since sliced bread is actually not the best thing since sliced bread. And and you have other moments when you say, well, you know, this is interesting. People agree with what you want to do, but you need that level of detachment. And the problem with do-it-yourself polling is when you don't have that level of detachment, you end up writing a question that is completely loaded, and then you get all of that criticism that that uh, can come with it. Well, and I, I, I'm going to interject because there is one uh, example within the fur bears, and I won't go into the actual survey or what the, the result was, cause it's, uh, I don't think we've necessarily released all that data yet, but it's also not really relevant, but, um, and it was done with insights West and there was questions in there that I kind of thought, oh, well, we don't really need to ask that, but of course we ask it. Um, <laughs> and the results come back and it's, it's completely opposite of what we expected. And it literally changed the way a campaign went. And I think it changed it for the better because, oh, now we like, it's, especially when you're an advocate, you're so buried in what you're doing. Uh, for me, it's wildlife. Like I've got an app on my phone now that doesn't let me get notifications after 9 p.m. from any social media or any news outlets uh, because I get it constantly thrown at me on my personal page, on managing the fur bears. Um, so I've got, to, I've literally got to stop the information from coming in and that colors the way you view the world. So for me, Um, you know, I, I see it very clearly this way. I'm exposed to it constantly, but for the majority of people in British Columbia, they maybe hear about it once, once every other month. Um, so my interpretation of what the public thinks on something is so heavily colored by my view from where I'm sitting, um, and having that, well, no, this is actually what the public said about that. Uh, I think like really genuinely made us have a better campaign on one issue. Uh, so that's our personal experience. I can say, um, and I, I can never imagine now not having that data and that tool, uh, to help. Well, those are the moments that, uh, that are uh, quite enjoyable and, and refreshing in, in our line of work. Uh, the ability to, to go into a meeting and say, hey, this is something that you probably didn't think about, and it's actually 
uh, a situation that a lot of people care. Uh, I think my my favorite example from my experience was we were working with a with a theater company, and they they were adamant that the number one problem they had getting people to go to their shows was that there was uh, no good parking facility uh, near the venue. Mm-hmm. And I had been there once and I thought, well, last time I was here, I couldn't really hear the actors. Uh, maybe sound is one of the problems. And they were, I don't know, no, sound is not a problem. Sound is not a problem. And, you know, this is theater and we're not going to, you know, be walking around with microphones. That's ridiculous. And it's classic. And we did the survey. I asked about sound. It was sound. Yeah. Six months later, they implemented a state of the arts audio uh, you know, every, all all that you needed in order to hear perfectly what was going on, on 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 stage, and it ended up bringing a lot more people into the venue. But it's it's the kind of thing that they weren't thinking about, and having that ability to say, well, maybe it's one of these other things, uh, allows you to serve your clients better. To learn more about Insights West or see the full results from their Grizzly poll, visit insightswest.com or follow the links in this week's show notes at thefurbears.com. Thanks for joining us, and please remember to sign up for weekly updates from Defender Radio and The Fur Bearers at thefurbearers.com updates. You can connect with me to find out about upcoming interviews, projects, and contests, as well as some pretty adorable pictures of my dogs. Just follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Defender Radio, and on Instagram at Howie Michael. Until next time, this is Michael Howie for Defender Radio, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.